Chapter 2 The Camp Gabriel did not blame his chauffeur, not really. He blamed the camp, because there was no good reason for the city to be this busy first thing on a Monday morning. Granted, the financial sector did go to work two or three hours before everyone else, so it was a given that there would be some traffic. And it was at least plausible that something else had caused this gridlock, a major pile-up, or a breakdown in a bottleneck, or a suicide on the central line. But in his gut, Gabriel knew this was far too much to hope for. This was purposeful disruption. He would have bet his chauffeur's life on it. It was only a ten-minute walk to St. Paul's, but this was ten minutes more than he would have chosen to spend power-walking on a public pavement. It wasn't that he was averse to exercise, he spent a minimum of forty minutes in the gym every day, in the pool or on the weights or rowing machine. Naked, in front of the mirror, his muscles could fairly be described as sculpted, even though he seldom used them for any practical purpose. They were essentially cosmetic. Nevertheless, the minimal effort required to propel his body half a mile through central London should not have been a problem except that he hated to exert himself outside of a controlled climate. The sensation of sweating under a shirt and long autumn coat was deeply unpleasant. When Gabriel Vaughan sweated, he liked to know that he would be washing the sweat away within the hour. Compounding his physical discomfort was the mental distress that came with being late for work. Gabriel was a man who thrived on routine, not because of some innate psychological predisposition, but rather because he needed a vice-tight schedule in order to optimise his day. Thus, he should have been behind his desk twenty minutes ago, no later than twenty past six, and ten minutes ago he should have been walking into Mason's office for the first meeting of the day, the pre-meeting meeting. Of course, it was entirely possible that Mason had also been held up, depending on the level of chaos these protesters had managed to engineer. But that was not the point. Gabriel wasn't paid 3.4 million a year to roll into the office whenever he felt like it. By the time he reached Cheapside, he had regained most of his composure. There was no sign yet of anything out of the ordinary, no early morning marches or assemblies, no barricades in the streets, but this did nothing to dispel his certainty regarding the cause of this morning's traffic jam. Simultaneously, as Gabriel approached the west side of the cathedral, he was able to bolster his conviction that most of the protesters were far too lazy to be up and organised this early in the day. Under normal circumstances, this apparent contradiction might have been problematic, but when it came to the camp, Gabriel was willing to lower his usual standards of logic and rationality by a considerable margin. They had arrived ten days ago, one bright and seemingly unremarkable Saturday morning, armed to the teeth with banners and tents and tarpaulins. The first he'd heard of it was via a text from Mason, Turn on the fucking news. Nothing else. Gabriel hadn't received a message like this since Lehman Brothers went belly up in 2008. What confronted him this time was a roiling sea of people on the steps of St. Paul's. 
They had beards and tattoos and piercings and megaphones. They had placards bearing slogans such as, We are the 99% and Why Should We Pay for Their Crisis? According to the BBC, there were several thousand of them. They had been planning to occupy Paternoster Square, home to the London Stock Exchange, but had been thwarted by a last-minute court order and a police blockade. Like much of central London, Paternoster Square appeared to be public land, but was actually private property. It belonged to the Mitsubishi Corporation. Gabriel had never been so relieved to discover that half an acre of his native soil had been acquired by a Japanese conglomerate. The only downside was that all these people had to end up somewhere, and they had ended up just round the corner, right on his doorstep. So, for six consecutive working days, Gabriel had had to walk through their midst just to get into the office.